what was the motivation behind writing the blog that you wrote last year in September? Yeah, so there was a couple blogs. Uh, there was the top 10 overlooked questions uh, with Stateful-ness, um, no, Stateful Cloud, uh, uh, Cloud Native Network Applications. And um, there, there was a top 11 things you didn't know about um, Cloud Native Stateful-ness. And then there was a PayPal on Stateful CNFs, which is CNF stands for cloud native functions. Um, but the two blogs, the top 11 things you didn't know and the overlooked questions, there's a lot of pain within the uh, telecommunications space about statefulness. So the first thing that jumps out is what does a stateful, because there's a such thing as a stateful, what they call stateful network function or stateful, stateful networking service. What does that mean uh, for them? Yeah. What does yeah. that mean? <laughs> yeah, there's two types of things for statefulness. So stateless, uh, and we can get to dig into this deeper, but there's there's protocols within networking. So you can have stateless protocols and stateful protocols. A stateless proto uh protocol would be something like uh UDP, right? So that is something where it's good for let's just say audio. You're sending packets over the network. And there is, you you if you drop a packet or whatever, you send another one. Doesn't re, doesn't need to remember uh, what happened previously. Um, a stateful, a stateful, uh, it should, this is counterintuitive, but a stateful uh, um, protocol like TCP, right? So it remembers your. Um, it remembers the connection, and so it can do uh, a. If you drop a packet and you send it over, it says, "Oh, that's not." It has a little counter, and it says, "Oh, this is not in the right order," and it sends another message back and says, "Give me the packet again because I didn't get the one that was next in the order," and then so it has what's called error correction. So that's a stateful protocol. Now. Right off the bat, like I've had discussions with programmers and all that, and they, they think TCP/IP is stateless because we are, we you know regular programmer, enterprise program, we know about HTTP and all this other stuff, and think of TCP, and we're like, oh, that's we don't even deal with that, but we think of it as stateless, but it actually is stateful. So you have this word stateful that already within the networking side, they have a concept of of it remembers the connection and it basically has its connotation of error correction and sending packets in the right order. And if there's missed one, they resend. Uh, and then, so on the enterprise side, so let's say the cloud native community, well, statefulness means, you know, I'm remember, I'm, it can mean anything from uh, having, a, we we're thinking of HTTP or something like that and remembering the connection where we're maybe saving state between calls and HTTP all the way to databases, right? You know, and, oh, I'm saving something into all the way into uh, a database and it's persistent and it's has a certain level of consistency and all this stuff. So it's, it's pretty, it's madness to talk about it within the space being on calls within the telecommunication space. There's a such thing as a stateful firewall. So what can happen is it can remember like when you're, let's just say it's um, doing <clears throat> packet inspection and it needs to remember a previous call 
in order to compare it to a, a the, the next call to say, oh, yeah, this is a virus. Let's shut this down or let's, you know, or this is um, a, a denial of service attack. Let's shut this down. You know, that kind of thing. That's so we're this whole like, concept of remembering. That's a stateful uh, protocol and a stateful application. So network function. So firewall. All of that, that made me say, okay, we need to, um, in order to tease apart these idea, this idea of stapleness, let's have a couple blogs and a paper uh, with references so that we can kind of tease it apart. Um, so that's really what, what was the, the driver. Yeah, and when we you know talk about cloud native, oftentimes things getting separated into network, compute, and storage. Yeah. And we think about stakeholders and the the folks that are going to be you know tackling this. What are the challenges for you mentioned you mentioned a couple of them in terms of well if you are familiar with this and this is sort of a natural step, but when talking about stateful applications in the networking context, what are often the knowledge gaps or pain points that seem to appear? Statefulness in the networking con- um, context, the pain that appears is they want it all. Right. And they don't have the history that the enterprise has. So we got a beating with the cap theorem, the history of you can't have consistency, availability and partitioning. And even that had a, a reconciliation. But um, we kind of had this idea of you're going to lose something. Right. One of those three. And we have we, we, you know, up for the past 20 years, let's say, when the cap theorem came out, maybe. 15 years ago, 20 years. So um, they don't really have that. They um, have, and so they they think we're going to get everything. We're going to have low latency. And if we need statefulness for them, the concepts of, of transactions and correctness and all of that stuff, it has a different um, history for them, right? So like I said, with TCP, Someone was saying, let's send packets over the network. Huh, there's errors. Okay, let's have a correction algorithm. Okay, we did it, right? Okay, let's just do the same thing. Wait a minute. Um, I want to do something where I have a bunch of tasks in the order, and if one of them fails, then I don't want to do any of those tasks. Oh, you know, oh, transaction? Okay, yeah, let's write that in-house. No, now you failed, right? So that's... That's where databases come in or, are, you know, that kind of thing. So they have a, a pain point there where it's kind of a not invented here. And they have a history of brilliant people that, uh, you know, solve, just solve, you know, problems um, within networking. But storage and databases is a different beast and a different, a different history. So... Um, there, there needs to be a, uh, get rid of the not invented here type thing syndrome and borrow from the other side, at least see where the pitfalls are. Right. So that, that's really, that's really the pain I I would say. Um, so kind of not knowing what you don't know sometimes so that that's really it. So, um, there's something called the 5g charging function. Right. So your phone, 5G, 4G, whatever. The thing that says, oh, you're out of minutes. So no, shut off. No more, no more uh, data for you. Right. That thing 
it has it needs to be um it needs to have some concept of correctness right um so they can't overbill you they can't underbill you that kind of thing um there's a lot at stake because it's money involved lots of people using it every second every minute it's by the minute it's not by the hour right and um it's low latency so somebody's you know driving around they want to go down to the minute they don't want to go to the hour so uh when you talk to someone with a net space they're like oh yeah we use mil we'll lose millions and millions of dollars if there's any errors so it has to be again to to talk about the um kind of the um discussion about statefulness it it needs to be um they'll use it needs to be stateful and it needs to be consistent so they're thinking of of um you know databases it needs to have transactions right and so <clears throat> uh but they have also another issue of uh you know there's multiple regions you can write the software it can handle try to put it on one tower but they don't want to do that they want to span multiple towers people can drive from one region to another so now you have a kind of a a kind of a nightmare scenario so somebody that really wants something that maybe violates, uh, I say violates, but you know, the cap theorem, right? They they want something that's going to have consistency, availability, and part, um, partition tolerance, right? Um, to, oh, by the way, telecommunications people believe that they are a mission critical system. They believe that when their system goes down, people die, like they can't call nine one one. So when they are presenting their system they uh present it as we need to be more available than any of you all you know any other domain you know kind of thing they they kind of put themselves in the same space as medical really uh so all of that together and so you have a unique problem uh where they they want to say that they want low latency and uh, consistency and availability wow so yeah, sort of the, the tall order um, given given the sector they're in, with yeah. the the points that were the with the, you know the questions that were mentioned here, what are were there any lingering doubts or things that you feel you, you know once again these these different parts of the cloud native spectrum or ecosystem depending on how we want to you know look at it or call it, figuring out how they can kind of come together and this is something we talk a lot about in our community is how you know DBAs can become SREs these sort of overlaps with different roles. And once again, going back to, uh, you know, stakeholders and why some are more likely to embrace, you know, running stateful workloads on Kubernetes rather than others. What are the things that need to happen, you think, in the next six months to a year in order for things to get smoother, for there to be a more level playing field, to not have, you know, so much doom and gloom or just don't do that kind of a, you know, comments that we hear sometimes regarding running stateful workloads on Kubernetes. It's funny. So a history within, there's a rich history within the telecommunication space with what, what's called with, with orchestrators. They argue that they were up on making orchestrators before a cloud native community. So things that would spin up applications and, and do the life cycle, which is, they look at that as fancy new for, you know phrase for what they were already doing but their orchestrators were application specific right so this kubernetes to them looks it is a application in specific 
or agnostic uh, orchestrator. And they're like, oh, hmm, we like that. And then, you know, it's, oh, the, the, the people who are purchasing equipment, so to say the service providers, they uh, are saying, we want to do what the cool kids are doing over there in the enterprise and over that. You need to build equipment that uses something that is interoperable. So we like this application agnostic orchestrator thing. Go ahead and if you use that, we we like that. So we're going to purchase that. So that's a driver for the vendors to make the uh, things that work on Kubernetes and then hence statefulness that works in Kubernetes, right? So um, the so who who is it that's going to be there already? I mean, there's many ways you can go with this for what's being pushed within telecommunications. Like I, the, the thing that I described earlier, so the 5G charging platform, that thing has like one component that needs to be this low latency component. The part that says you don't have any more minutes, but the part that shuts off the network, the part that remembers that you are this user with this much um, money, you know, uh, in your account and all this other stuff. All of that is an enterprise application, right? So that is in the wheelhouse of enterprise and all that. We've been doing that for a long time. Those people that are on, so I said that to say this, uh, there's a great deal of telecommunications software that's really enterprise software, right? Inventory stuff, all kinds of things, right? So they're going to be, we want to run, they want to say, like I said earlier, they want to say, we run on Kubernetes because that's what the service providers want to buy. They're saying we want something that's not, again, a, a, another history. Um, service service providers often will get locked into one vendor. I'm not going to say names, right? But certain service providers will get locked into specific vendors. And um, whether, you know, it's not on purpose, right? Maybe it's on purpose, maybe not on purpose. But they get locked, vendor lock-in. They don't want vendor lock-in. So there's something that's more interoperable it's in an orchestrator that is application agnostic and vendor agnostic. They're like, yeah, you should do that. So see, it looks good. And so they want to put everything. If you can showcase that, oh, I am, I'm not going to lock you in. I have an application, especially the smaller vendors. I have application that will work, a network application that will work. Um, and be interoperable with other people, all the other applications, all that. To, to put in the answer to your question, it's stateful too. So it's going to play nice with other applications, uh, you know, depending on whatever storage they're using, we can be compatible with that. It's not a homegrown storage. Remember, within this uh, community, they love to do, you know, roll your own. So it's, it's interoperable. Right. That is a big selling point. Uh, so that's really all of those. That that would be the driver for people wanting to do stateful. They have enterprise applications that's stateful. Um, the they have other things that are on the borderline of not really enterprise. So uh, within the hardcore networking, so going down to layer two, and then doing statefulness. Uh, that they it would be great if they were able if they could showcase that they are they are interoperable and stateful on Kubernetes, they would be uh, you know showcase that easily, then they would they would be a selling point for them. 
I don't want to sound like a, a bit of a departure, but you know, you are someone who spent a lot of time looking at the topic of fairness. And when we're talking about fairness in this context of we have these stakeholders over here, we have these customers, we have, you know, the different things that are going on here. How can it be done in such a way that there isn't that, like I said, that have that fairness can play a prominent role in these, in these conversations regarding the folks that are going to be using these technologies and that it doesn't have to be win-lose, but how it ha that there can be a, an established win-win that it doesn't have to be at the expense of the networking team that another, um, that, like I said, that other, that other engineers that are working in an organization or developing software are going to be having some kind of benefit. Is that something that you detect is happening? And if so, what do you think could be done to remedy it? So there's, when we're talking about fairness, um, there's a bunch of ways you can go. Uh, it's really, so there are affected interests and direct interests. Uh, so if you, the people who are directly involved with the production of a thing, right, the artisans, let's say there is, you know, the risk they took, the effort they put, the money they put into it, that kind of thing. Those are the directed interests. Affected interests would be people who are affected by what was ever, what was produced. Let's say you live in a municipality, a city and a nuclear facility is being made and you're like, it affects you. So you want to have a say, you don't know how to make nuclear facilities, but you're like, I heard that maybe you all warm the water and the river a bit and that kills fish. Tell me about that. And we white vote so that you can't do it right here. Maybe down, maybe a, a, you know, a bit further from here or something. So when you're talking about fairness, you have to talk about the stakeholders. I'd rather say directed interest and uh, affected interest, but those, those people uh, and you said networking. So there's the people who make networking equipment and people consume it, right? So there's that side. And then there's this, there's open source and there's closed source. There's a lot of closed source and networking, uh, in the networking space. So that, that gets thrown into the discussion as well. Um, and you know, incentives, so on and so forth. Uh, so we, definitely there's a lot to, to do there. I think maybe you're talking about maybe from a cloud native community. I don't, I'm not yeah, sure. Like in the what, in the, yeah, no, 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 no. But I, I when, when, when you say it and when you say, I mentioned it now, I think definitely in, in the, in the cloud native, in the cloud native community that, uh, and, and because people talk about this as well too, with open source projects in order for one project to do well, does it mean that others have to die or you have to fail? Is it that we're, you know, seeking that my project is going to win over yours or things of that nature. And perhaps in a similar way that, People have different roles, different roles have, like you said, have gone through different processes of development and, and change and have arrived at the points that they've arrived at for lots of different reasons. And how can there be, you know, how can there be scenarios created to make sure that, that, like I said, that that spirit of fairness is maintained regarding those directed and affected interests? Do you really, so there's two, you can separate and this can go off into the deep end. But there's the problem of fair division, um, and then there is um, distributed justice is the other phrase. So distributed justice is on the philosophical side. Problem of fair division is kind of an implementation side. There, when we, uh, oftentimes Americans, when we talk about fairness, it really means efficiencies. What we don't like is when, to, to talk about one, you said you brought up one, open source application 
eating the other one, right? Uh, winning kind of mm -hmm. thing. Uh, there is, we're really tuned to efficiency. So with you, efficiency, you could say if there's um, three people and you, there was a pie that was cut four ways and it just couldn't be cut anymore, uh, we do not like uh, three people getting a slice of pie and the other pie just staying there. We, we rather just randomly give it to one person. If, if people are still hungry, we don't want to let it just rot or whatever. We hate that, right? That's a kind of a efficiency is this distribution and um, nothing kind of left over kind of thing. There's, there's this connotation with efficiencies, things being distributed in a way to where uh, there everything was used, right? But there are other there are other components to fair division. So, and this, you know, all applies to when you want to reason about open source or any type of distribution problem, fair division problem. You have um, one that most people kind of have an, an intuition of, and it could be a positive or negative intuition, uh, which could, which is um, kind of an egalitarianism or um, uh, partitioning, let's say. So uh, that one, it can be kind of, uh, reasoned over, uh, uh, reason about as if if things are partitioned equally, then it was fair, right? So that there's a concern there, or kind of an intuition. So egalitarianism means everything being equal. There's that concern, and then you have another concern of there's like three other concerns. There's envy freeness, so distribution, and then no one feels like or thinks that they everyone thinks that their piece was the biggest piece and it kind of might be a little bit counterintuitive like how can that happen but that, that can happen even though the pieces are not the same right so envy freeness is another component uh there's manipulability so the idea that a distribution uh was given and the 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 algorithm or the method of distribution, if one person knows, has information about another person's desire or their portion or whatever, they can manipulate the algorithm so that they get more, right? Um, so that's how, when there's a distribution algorithm, how manipulable is it? And But then, then there's the one that is like the, what I would say, where all these intuitions kind of come to fruition is called equitability. So... Uh, it's the belief that given your risk and what you put in and all these other things that you, given all your inputs and given other people's inputs, you believe that you're, uh, you know, for lack of a uh, you know, better way of phrasing it, you believe that your portion is the same as another's given what they put in, right? So it gets into game theory, it talks about like Pareto optimality and all these other things. But there are algorithms for making all of these the, for guaranteeing outcomes here where they can't, where it's not manipulable and all these other things. So when you talk about open source and fairness, that that's really, you know, you're starting to think with that, those tools, you can start thinking, Oh, I have a very high bias for, for efficiency. Right. So yeah, you did it. You, you know, you, even though you started before us, you had, and you're in your, project and we borrowed some of your ideas in our project you 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 know you were slow to 
um, you know, come out with new features and all that. I mean, too bad, so sad. You know, that kind of efficiency kind of uh, with, you know, kind of, we think of efficiency markets are an implementation of efficiency. So we kind of, when I say we, like Americans, let's say, we really have this heavy bias for efficiency to the extent of, um, like, we will, uh, you know, crowd out something like equitability. Somebody, I mean, you think about it, reason about it. Well, these, these other, this other group, they invented these types of techniques and we saw it and it took them years and they were doing it for free. And we said, yeah, that was nice. Thanks. Implemented it over here with some other ways and we're not going to compensate them or let them have a stake or let them have a vote or let them, you know, any of that stuff. Then you start getting to that equitability side and all that. And then that's when you can start coming back and saying, um, hmm, let's reason about that. That's when you start getting into the philosophy side of fair, of distributed justice. So both of those can inform each other. But I talk about that for hours, so I didn't, let me stop. <laughs> I can tell, but this is amazing. I think we'll have to have a separate conversation just focused on that. But I think what's cool that you touched on a few different things, but one thing as well, you know, in, in Kubernetes, I think there are about 100,000 people in the Slack channel, right? Or, or at least if not there at the CNCF. And people might sometimes forget that that the subjective, you know, praise or obsession with uh, efficiency is not something that's global. And so when people are going to be working on, on, on a problem or a project or anything like that, is having the cultural empathy and sensitivity to understand that just because someone approaches a, a problem in that way doesn't doesn't mean they're wrong or that you know there are there's not you know, we talk about things like a single source of truth and all these different things mm -hmm. um and i think that everything that you just mentioned is uh is very eye-opening and things that are very beneficial for a lot of people that unfortunately sometimes they won't learn until they learn it the hard way um through having colleagues that uh from other countries and as an american who's been living outside the u.s for a while you know, you have a lot, I've had like a lot of my, you can say, you know, things that you just assumed, oh, everybody does it this way. And you realize, well, actually that's not the case. And, and the more and more people you meet from different places, you realize that there are other ways to do things and to start calling something right or wrong is, is can get pretty, uh, get pretty out of hand pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, now going back to the network, this network yeah. stable application. <laughs> what do you expect to be? What do you? I don't know because, like I said, I could be here all day talking about this too, <laughs> um, or and listening and learning from you. Is that uh, from writing the blog? What have been some of the reactions that you've got? Uh, there's definitely um, pushback in the sense of because um, we really use the blogs and the papers for communication. Um, it, I, I don't really like writing blogs. Uh, I just write blogs as a kind of a, a short form of the paper because everybody will write a blog and it's kind of their opinions. I try to use the papers have, you know, I try to have well-referenced sources and things. Um, so, uh, the pushback kind of, so the blogs and the paper is, um, let's see. We'll, we'll, we'll leave names out of the conversation. Uh, but they, there's, um, a heavy view that we know we already have done this before and that cloud native is a buzz phrase. 
It's a buzz term. We already know how to do this. Um, we're just doing it in a little slightly different way. Um, and so statefulness um, the, and low latency, we, the only reason why they will change to conform with, let's say, an open source ecosystem, cloud native ecosystem, would be if the consumers, the buyers, were knowledgeable of the interoperability, let's say, and, and other benefits that come from doing it in a more cloud native way, which is, you know, maybe not even a real thing. So that my fight has always been cloud native is a real thing. There's a history, you know, you get 10 factor apps. There's a bunch of history, a lot of writing there of just 90% of what I talk about is like the history of cloud native and the tenants of cloud native and, you know, just proper continuous delivery pipelines and things like that, service mesh loads. And then saying, okay, this is how you apply it to the networking side. And, the, and then the pushback is we, oh, that's cute. We know how to do that already. And by the way, our stuff is needs it's fast. Like they, they'll say, oh yeah, um, speed. Like if we talk about performance, we're, we've got, uh, you know, remember the, uh, what was it? The 10, was it the 10,000 connection problem? Like people were trying to write apps that held 10,000 connections, which was like 2003 or five or something. They thought that was cute. Right. They, they're like, no, we do millions of, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, how many hits per second and how much throughput? And they, they can't even use the same tools for performance testing that enterprise uses. They, they're, they want line speed. So there's network cards with 400 gigabit, uh, throughput. Right. So they're, they think cloud native is, oh, what are you doing over there? Okay. Well, when we have a hiccup, you all die kind of thing. So it's kind of a, a domino effect. And so they're very sensitive to low latency. And with that, there's a, that's the pushback. It's always, that's cute. Now, if you want to do something real, then here's what we have, this proprietary solution that reinvents or does everything that cloud native does poorly. With what you said about the pushback too, and that like, this has already been done or we're already doing this, or, you know, I've been, you know, doing this since 1997 or, you know, what, all the different it's things. Literally. One of the things that we talk, yeah. One of the things that we talk <laughs> about in our community and also because in, in, in the data world often has a, you know, a reputation for being maybe old school and, and very resistant to change. Mm. And so when you talk about the evolution of, you know, cloud native becoming a thing, a term that's being used by quite a few of our community members is talking about cloud native data in terms of the different qualities that it has and that it's and and really sort of embracing this kind of concept. Is that something that you've noticed over time, once again, with this sort of birth of cloud native becoming a thing? How do you see data inside that, the role of it and its importance and, and the challenges around it as well? Cloud native data, I guess I'm probably not so familiar with it. Um, with the phrase, so tell me some attributes of cloud native data. Um, 
scalability be you know oh. taking some of the you know the elements that are in you know cloud native computing and then bringing them over to the data world that and and so when you said that the history of uh on the you know i'm going to call it the enterprise side there you know dbmss they're going to say that oh we were already scalable oh we were already is that what you're saying like they had a history of that yeah uh, yeah 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 so i get you right so they're you know it's it because I, you know, it's when you when you were bringing up before, you know, database administrators and stuff like that. There's a history of, hey, uh, you know, we've been having, um, you know, great uptime for, you know, we do we're set up our our databases so they have a certain amount of, um, you know, uh, reliability and all this stuff. And then on the cloud native side, it would be, yeah, we availability. You start talking about five nines and stuff like that. And they're saying, wait a minute, what, you know, that's not anything real can't deploy, you know, it, historically they push back and all of this stuff like that. Um, yeah, reliability within, you know, let's say cloud native data needs to be reliable. That needs to be teased out. Right. So in the paper, I talk about this, right. There's different forms of what do you mean by reliable and then applying that to data. So can you tolerate right skew? What type of, when you use the term consistency, that's kind of a, 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 a ambiguous phrase. You really probably mean isolation. You really probably mean serializability. But from a programmer standpoint, an enterprise programmer, we are saying transactions, right? But even we got a little bit duped because there's different forms of what's called isolation where it really, in different scenarios, you really thought that your transaction rolled back? No, it didn't. So snap, uh, snapshot isolation, which a lot of databases have enabled by default, it won't handle certain types of problems that I talk about in the paper and in some of these blogs. Right. So what really we wanted, what we were thinking of serializability and we were, and then again, when you say finances, we need to have transactions. So it needs to be consistent or really mean serializability. Oh, okay. Um, that we, even that language is not, even on enterprise side, we weren't using that for sure. Telecommunication, they weren't using that. So reliability is an ambiguous, uh, word. I think in the communication on both sides, but definitely on the, within telco, it's, it's for sure, uh, because they believe that their networks are more, their networks and their applications are more reliable than, um, the, the other like compute and, and storage. So that's kind of what I, what I've seen. So if you were to say reliability for cloud native data, that's one thing. I mean, what are some other attributes that you think? Availability, maybe? High availability? Yeah, on the subject of topics like portability, high availability, other words that we get in the, involved in the ecosystem too, observability, um, to be able to make better decisions. Like I said, moving these SRE sort of concepts over to the data world. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. They They really, they kind of have the concepts of, let's say, observability. They want that and they want 
for their applications, especially their enterprise leaning applications, they know, hey, we should have observability for our nodes that are dealing with data, these types of things. Uh, but it's kind of a, it can be like, they're, they're behind, you know, it's an afterthought. And it really comes down to showcasing. Um, and then they're, the people who are consuming it, um, valuing it. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question about cloud-native data. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm a couple of community members actually wrote a book about, uh, you know, about, about, the, about this specifically, but also looking at the, the data on Kubernetes ecosystem when we see the different workloads that have made their way on there. And talking about end users, you know, telecommunications is is quite you know telecommunications, yeah. financial institutions, um, those are those are quite common uh, you know topics that come up in terms of the amount of data they're generating, the kind of data they're generating, the sensitivity around some of it, and looking at different environments, whether it's on prem or you know mm -hmm. private clouds, different things like that. Sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say that concept. I think it's David McCrory came up with the concept of data gravity. I don't know if you've heard that concept. So moving the data yeah. closer to the compute. Okay, that might be part, may have been subsumed into this cloud-native data concept. So there's that. And there, I won't say a telco is familiar, like they're familiar with the intuition for sure. Um, that they're very much, as far as algorithms that, as, as far as pathing algorithms, um, the nodes need to know the best path so switches, there's, there, there's a data that needs to move from one switch to another is, that makes it to where, oh, yeah, these packets get forwarded uh, around this high traffic area in the center of, let's say, Facebook's, you know, millions of nodes or whatever they have and go around, that kind of thing. Um, those, those types of things are uh, definitely within, they just have different names for it. Yeah. It, it once again is that when we talk about you know breaking down silos and trying to bring folks together and, and removing you know misunderstandings at the same time having very groups that have been so well established for long periods of time it's interesting because you know we're talking about fairness and a lot of this i think has to do with change management which i imagine you're well versed on as well which would be another four-hour session <laughs> another day okay. but in terms of preparing people preparing people for change you know, the culture that's going to be surrounding that, I, I just say that just in the sense of working in an organization that um, rushed into the cloud and was not prepared for the, 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 different, the different elements that were going to come along with that and then paid a very, very heavy price, both in terms of their monthly bills, but also internally as an organization because of professionals that have been, you know, doing things in a certain way for a long time and then now having abruptly... Um, lost that and having to shift into a new environment i feel like a lot of a lot of undercurrents in the conversations we have in our community are about how much resistance there is to change and and finding the right people to make sure that it can be done as smoothly as possible yeah yeah what i'm interested so when we talk about the data on kubernetes community some things like there's things that jump out at me. There's stuff from my industry that was mostly enterprise. So I'm thinking, you know, as a dev, I, I went straight to databases, but there's what all, there's all the algorithms that came out like Paxos and Raft and how those were used to try to make things uh, work better with multi-node. And that's the cap theorem and all that stuff. 
what is it that people are um with within uh, i'll say this within um when we say uh something to do with stapleness in kubernetes community there's the storage side and then there's running databases in kubernetes what for the data on kubernetes community what which one of those or both of those or what's the percentage the breakdown of concern for what people are great writing about question yeah great question and um i'll be happy to share our research report with you later on because it's you know breaking down those workloads we interviewed 500 people to see how they thought about you know the challenges and opportunities of running data on kubernetes and, and basically what's going on because for us it's like well we have this perception we talked to a lot of people but just getting some research was very helpful so we've done two reports and because in the beginning precisely what you said it was very much this database and storage dichotomy but we've seen you know pretty sharp increases in the amount of analytics workloads being run on kubernetes mm -hmm. and also as well machine learning and ai and then also messaging and streaming um, but when we started out as a community, actually, there was a very strong database and storage focus, partially because of, you know, the, the conversations that were happening inside the CNCF. But since then, it's branched out into these other areas, making a much more diverse ecosystem. And it's interesting to see because, like I said, I've been involved in the community for two and a half years now. In the beginning, it seemed like ML it was like, no, 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 like, no way, like, we're not going to go this route. Um, but that's, there's, I think there's been a big push in a lot of areas where it, it's, you know, the converging stack, run everything all in the same place. Um, those, those sorts of reasons are often provided as to why, you know, this makes sense as well as other benefits on um, including mm -hmm. costs. Um, so like I said, these are, these are the things that come up quite frequently, but yes, you know, database and storage still play a very prominent role. But these newer workloads um, are gaining a lot of traction. Anyway, well, this was a super cool conversation that touched on a lot of things. And I hope hope it was good enough for us to have another one in the future. Oh, and yeah. And I'd, I'd really down. like you to. Yeah. Um, and, and there really should be a separate series just on fairness. But uh, <laughs> for folks that are out there that maybe don't know you, what's, what's the best way to, uh, to see what you're doing or to, to follow up with any of the, the stuff that you're working on? Uh, so our main projects, open source projects called the CNF test suite. And, uh, that could be, I mean, you could follow that cncf.io slash CNF. That is the CNF. So cloud native network function certification for, uh, those who are, uh, vendors that want to certify that their network function works well within the cloud native ecosystem, let's say, uh, which to include some, there's some storage tests. We'd, it would be nice to get some, some feedback from the community on what's the best way to do some run staple workloads and put those tests into the, uh, test suite. Those are the, the, the best things, uh, as far as what we're working on. Um, and then the, if you do a, uh, search on CNF test suite or, and GitHub, you can, you can find that. Um, the, the, the Volk, uh, cooperative is Volk.coop. So Volk.coop, uh, website for us and, um, Volk Coop, um, on Twitter as well. Perfect. Well, thank you much for your time today and looking forward to future conversations. All right. Thank you.